Nightmerica is an independently produced podcast. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash nightmerica. And please tell your friends about us. Welcome to Nightmerica, a podcast that takes you on a tour of the abnormal, paranormal, weirdly true, and truly weird in every corner across this nation. Because, to paraphrase Ray Parker Jr., whether it's ghosts, aliens, monsters, or monstrous humans, there's something strange in your neighborhoods. Episode 15, taking a hard look at ghost stories about slaves. I'm Aaron Sagers, of course, one half of the co-hosting duo from... Paranormal caught on camera on Travel Channel, most recently, Paranormal Paparazzi, Paranormal Lockdown, all the paranormal stuff, and ParanormalPopCulture.com, and joined by my co-host, my colleague, my cohort, Britt. Britt, your co-conspirator. That's me. Co-conspirator. I guess co-league and also cohort and i think i do this every time and i'm probably saying the same words yeah you do i like that's all right playing with words anyhow so we are kind of taking a different path this week a little bit something that's i think topical and reflecting Mm -hmm. a little bit of what's going on in the news and we're gonna talk a little about a little bit about the black experience within the paranormal Mm -hmm. and this is definitely this is something that we're kind of going to tiptoe around because we're both two white people having this conversation so yeah um, if we say anything you know that you are offended by or you know you think we maybe should learn more about, please reach out to us. We truly want to educate ourselves and do this in the best and most effective way possible. Well, yeah. And I, a lot of this is stuff that, you know, I've obviously already thought about a lot over the years, Mm -hmm. but I do think that telling uh, these stories during this time, of course, and I think it's worth saying that right off the bat, that Nightmarica is definitely supports the Black Lives Matter movement and i know i've been donating money to various causes Mm -hmm. as i can and trying to use my social media platform to to talk about things and share resources so signing all the petitions yeah so i think we can we can proudly say that we do support the black lives matter movement and we're trying to get the word out there Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. But, okay, so before diving in, in, into our stories, let's get into some news items for the week. Some news of the weird from the paranormal realm. What's your story, Britt? So my story this week is a little bit lighthearted before we get into the kind of heavy stuff we're about to. Um, but it's that Forest Fens treasure has been found. Mm -hmm. Do you know Forest Fens treasure? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, come on. He that's, hit that's, it. A, that's that's a, a one of the great mysteries of certainly modern history. Totally. And it's it's great cuz it's part of it's sort of connected to the paranormal, but it's also just like a cool adventure type of story. Totally. It was found by someone who's wanting to remain anonymous. Um, but I think we can all happily say that it was not found by John Wayne Bobbitt. Thank God. He was one of the people who was out searching for it. Um, so he doesn't deserve that money. So I'm really glad it went to somebody else. But I, I've just been fascinated by Forrest Fence treasure. He, uh, For those who don't know, he wrote a poem and hid this treasure in the Rocky Mountains um, after he personally was diagnosed with cancer and just wanted to give back. About, I think, three or four people have passed away while trying to find this treasure. So it was not an easy feat, uh, but it's been found. So pretty exciting. Yeah. It is. It's also, it's bittersweet. It's it's cool that it's been found, but it's also that mystery is now gone. Mm -hmm. And and his whole his whole purpose was to encourage people to explore national parks mm -hmm. and to explore their communities. And it's it was exciting in that regard. And it wasn't unlike some stories of haunted treasures or buried treasures. That is, it's connected to crime and death and whatnot like that. This was all very philanthropic in many ways mm -hmm. with uh, Forrest Fens. So, but it is a little sad that it's gone. Yeah. But, On to the next treasure. Uh, yeah. So I'll have to bury something. Did you ever bury a time capsule as a kid? You know, I feel like I did because I remember making one, but I have no idea where I would have buried it. I mean, we grew up in the city. It's not like there's places where you can bury treasure in the streets of Paris. You know what I mean? But I feel like I made one. Yeah, I did through school, but I also mm. did a lot as a kid in my backyard. I think I would bury certain G.I. Joes and some various other things. So 
I still like to think that, I don't know what happened on the one at school. It's probably still buried. And assuming that the earth doesn't blow up uh, and that any humans are left by the time it gets dug up, I'm sure it's probably still a few decades off before they dig it up. But for me, I really hope that someone that moved into the homes that I lived in, and if anybody dug up any of the backyards, that they found some cool stuff and that it brought some joy. I would love to see what you buried. I think it was definitely some G.I. Joe's, but it probably wouldn't have been a really good G.I. Joe. I, I, I'm sure, like, I didn't want to get rid of a good G.I. Joe, so no. I buried some of the, the lesser Joes. Yeah. But, if you guys have buried anything or found anything, tag us. That's some weird things we want to see. I mean, growing up in Florida, I never owned a metal detector, but I was always fascinated by them. And I have some family members that would definitely scan the beaches all the time with metal detector. I loved it. In fact, I there was a cool G.I. Joe guy who his whole deal was using a metal detector to find landmines. I believe his name was Sweeper or Minesweeper. Oh. I forget. But And so he was actually one of my my favorite G.I. Joes. So That's cool. Your yeah. face just lit up talking about it. I totally forgot about him. I, I now I'm I'm really trying to remember if his name is his it was Minesweep. I just looked it up real quick. His name was Minesweep, and he would look for mines, but he had a metal detector. So yeah, that's a weird segue to go off on. But <laughs> now I'm just thinking about all the awesome GI Joes that I had. But my story is from the Guardian, but this has actually been reported by multiple outlets. Scientists say. Most likely number of contactable alien civilizations is 36. <gasps> it's, it's pretty impressive. That's a lot. New it is. This is reporting The Guardian June 15th. So as we're recording this, this is very recent news. New mm-hmm. calculations come up with estimates for worlds capable of communicating with others. Now, this does not mean that they that there is indeed most certainly 36 other civilizations out there however these group of scientists and professors have applied what's called the i guess it's the drake method the or the drake equation that was established in 1961 by the astronomer frank drake And in that equation, he set out seven factors that would need to be known to come up with an estimate for the number of intelligent civilizations out there. And they include factors such as the average number of stars that form each year in the galaxy to the time span over which a civilization could be reasonably expected to be sending out detectable signals. So these, but it's hard to measure all of these. So what these professors did, one of them was Christopher Consalis. He is a professor of astrophysics at the University of Nottingham, and he was one of the co-authors of this research, was saying that based on what they have studied, they think that there's more than those 30 civilizations out there capable of communicating with others, maybe maybe um doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to talk to them some of them are within a few billion light years away so they're not necessarily right next door mm-hmm. but it's and just some may not want to talk to us 
true, especially we need to get our shit together right yeah. now, you know? We there's, owe it to the yeah. aliens, guys. Yeah. Well, there's there's certain theories that the aliens are here and visiting and that they feel that they need to help us fix things. Other theories are that they're the ones behind a lot of trouble and they're the ones screwing up the earth. But I think that's pretty convenient. That's basically a way of us saying, like, it's not our fault. I agree. But... They're just passing the buck to these aliens. I feel like aliens are like, you know, we come in peace. Hello. That's like yeah. the tagline of the aliens. Yeah. Well, yeah, but except anytime they say that, they're rarely actually coming in peace. But so <laughs> the True. the thing is, is that, yeah, just because they might be out there doesn't mean that we're close to speaking with them because... According to this report, civilization, our civilization, Earth civilization, would need to survive at least another 6,000 years to establish that two-way communication based on how far away they are. So seven, so I guess 17,000 year, light years away is the calculation for the nearest civilization. So wow. we might find some things closer, but based on their theories right now, it would still be another 6,000 years before we could figure that out. And... Yeah. Not to be a Debbie Downer, but right now my my hope for <laughs> civilization lasting 6,000 years is not really great. So. Everyone stop drinking out of plastic water bottles. Stop using single-use plastic. We have to talk to the aliens. So, like, be green, I think people. maybe. I, mean, I think maybe the first thing is let's be nicer to one another. And well, 110%. Look out for one another. And also maybe be better to the earth, nicer to the earth as well. Yeah, just but, be nicer, period. Yeah, that is a that is a good a good rule to follow. It's a good golden rule. Yeah. So, okay. So, before we get into our first story, let's talk a little bit more about the topic at hand. We are going to mm-hmm. tell some stories about ghosts of slaves we're going to be talking about ghosts that are part of the african and african-american experience and as we were discussing this topic you've been on a lot of ghost tours correct i've been on a few yes and i actually referenced one in my story and i've been on countless ghost tours I've, i've been on so many and i love them I love going to mm-hmm. any town. It's it's basically a way of me learning a town's history and culture. But certainly the stories that we tell are so rarely about the experience of Africans that were force, forcibly brought into this country and put into slavery. And they are part of this country's history but the ghost tours so rarely reflect that. Not not never, but so rarely mm-hmm. reflect that. And I think that it's something we have to address and something to grapple with because, as we've mentioned before on this podcast, I was raised in the South. And I was, I experienced, I witnessed a lot of Confederate flags flying. Wow. And not everyone that was flying the flag viewed it as a racist symbol, but it is. It is. I. It's just mind-blowing to me how people can view that as not a racist symbol. 
We don't fly swastika flags. Well, I think that I can understand maybe in the past if people were able to explain it away, but certainly I think we are hopefully evolving. We're in a time. Yeah. I mean, I did when I was younger. I'm, I'm willing to admit this. When I was younger, like I, I thought the rebel flag was a cool flag and it was I had a Confederate hat, but that was a mindset that I evolved from. Mm -hmm. And I was not raised with racist ideas. It was sort of just part of the South. But now we are in this time when just recently NASCAR has said that they will no mm -hmm. longer allow the flying of the Confederate flag at its events. And it seems like culturally we are coming to an understanding that this is this is not something that we should be tolerating any longer. Mm -hmm. But but with that, it seems like in addition to getting rid of these symbols of of uh, the Confederacy, and let's face it, they were losers, they were traitors, yeah. and and anyone that claims it was part of their heritage, a lot of people died, but it was also a war that lasted four years, and mm -hmm. there's some K-pop bands that have been around longer than that, <laughs> but these were... God, I love K-pop. They, they were traitors, so... Let's not celebrate, you know, traitors to our nation. But yep. beyond that, let's also honor the stories of the slaves and of the people that that the Confederacy was trying to keep enslaved. Mm -hmm. So with that said, we thought, well, this is a paranormal and true crime podcast. Let's tell some stories in that vein. Absolutely. Are you feeling good about this? I am. I'm really glad we're doing this. Um, I think it's so important in this time of the world right now to be able to have these conversations calmly. Um, there's so much on social media where people are just spreading hate on both sides. And I don't think we're going to be able to move past this unless we can speak calmly and with compassion to both sides and kind of explain um, so I'm really happy that we're doing this in this kind of fashion. Yeah, but I'm going to push back a little bit because first off, anymore, I feel like the term on both sides is probably just going to be retired because that carries a lot of a lot of baggage with it now. But as far as hate on both sides, I hate is probably is not a good thing. Yeah, hate is not a good thing. But I am one of those people that's just angry and enraged at what I'm seeing, mm -hmm. not just systemic racism, but people that come to the defense of it or talk about not saying that you're not. Obviously, I, I know I know you. I know your character and I know you are also angry about this, but. Man, I get on social media and I see some of this crap and I just freaking I just go off because it's it's it is enraging and it is something that I angrily push back on and I'm I I think definitely as a white person it's part of my responsibility to speak up and and yes, have conversations with other white people who maybe don't get it, but 
But when I see somebody spouting these horrible, hateful tropes and cliches, it effing pisses me off. I like I, I do want to. It it does kind of make me <laughs> reach a point of hating them based on their hate for or, or uh, for their racism. Uh, and I totally get that. I think what I kind of witnessed this week is what changed my mind because I was exactly like you. I mean, we've talked about it. People that have put, commented on your post that I'm like, oh my God, what is happening in the world? But so for example, this week, um, I have a set of grandparents who do not agree with you and I, and they both post on Facebook a lot. And it is, it's really aggravating, but we had them over for dinner. I'm leaving Phoenix, going back to New York. And so we had them over for dinner as a goodbye. And we actually had a really beautiful conversation where no one yelled. We just kind of spoke things through. My grandma was really angry about the defunding the police campaign and because she didn't know what it was. And so I was very able to calmly explain the situation to her. And I think had I angrily commented to something she had posted on Facebook, she wouldn't have listened. But instead having this calm conversation with compassion, not making people feel like an idiot for believing or, you know, having whatever ideals they have, but just explaining the other side calmly. We actually finished the conversation and she thanked me because she had only seen what she had seen and the algorithms of Facebook will feed you what you want. And I think being able to have that conversation really brought to life, you know, what I can do to change things. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's great. I'm glad that that was a good result. And, and it's certainly, I think it's hard to engage in some of these conversations, especially on social, especially on social media mm -hmm. where some people just, just, grind in and 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 bear down instead of like being open they just push back and 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 want to fight and want to go to war mm -hmm. yeah facebook or social media is a difficult place for it not impossible but it makes it difficult to have those calm conversations but yeah yeah i am i i am thinking though of some of the experiences out there with some folks on social media that i definitely did not walk away thinking that <laughs> they were enlightened and maybe I failed them as well but some of the the tropes that I was hearing felt like it was almost better for me to walk away from that friendship instead yeah, of well not even absolutely. friendship but that acquaintance uh, instead of still trying to uh, talk to them about these things I don't know but yeah. that said that's kind of where <laughs> our heads are at yep a nightmare. So before we get into the first story, let's hear from one of our sponsors, Madam Morbid. Madam Morbid asks the question, is Brooklyn one of the most haunted places in America? And it's a worthwhile question. It absolutely on this is. Podcast, it is. It is. We've so it's so worthwhile. We ask it every week because of our sponsors. And this podcast is brought to you by Brooklyn's one and only mobile ghost tour, Madam Morbid's Trolley Tours, which just so happens to be our official haunted tour. Madam Morbid's Victorian-era funeral-inspired trolley is the best way to cruise around Brooklyn and learn all about its haunted history. Now, they are 
getting ready to get back on the road after months of quarantining and locking down and also chasing ghosts. They were doing that during the pandemic. But they still have some gift cards available for when they reopen, so be sure to check out MadamMorbid.com. Give them a follow at NYC to support our local ghost tour, Brooklyn's local ghost tour, Nightmerica's official ghost tour. And by the way, the answer to that worthwhile question is yes, Brooklyn is haunted. So, so we got that information out there. We did. So let's let's dive into the story. What 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 was the story that you dug up for this week? Yeah, so I am doing the story of the hangman's elm in Washington Square Park. Have you heard of this tree? Have you seen it? I have, and and this is Washington Square Park in New York, New York City, City. In, Gre- in Greenwich Village. Yep, yep. So I got my sources from Atlas Obscura, Seeks Ghosts, the Greenwich Village Society for Historic Preservation, and then the Like a Local Tours, um, which is a walking tour in New York City. They're doing virtual tours now, and that's what I did. I did the virtual walking tour of Greenwich Village. Um, and that's actually how I got the idea to do this. Uh, one of our Patreon subscribers told me about it. Um, and he kind of suggested this story. Um, so let's dig in. Uh, the hangman's elm was in Washington square park. And just to kind of go over the creepy background of the park, uh, when New York was first settled by the Dutch, all of the places that are now parks in the city were then potter's fields which is where those who are, you know, irreligious by the church or too poor to pay for burials themselves were buried in these mass graves. Um, so all the bodies were moved out of parks and redone in proper graves when the city was being recommissioned. Um, but only 80,000 of the 100,000 bodies in Washington Square Park were re- like relocated. So 20,000 bodies are still there. Um, And it is considered to be one of the most haunted places in the city. Uh, So the part of the park that I'm talking about today is actually the oldest known living tree in Manhattan. It's an English elm located on the northwest corner of the park. Uh, It's a tree where traitors of the Revolutionary War were hanged, uh, prisoners uh, who were supposed to be executed from the Newgate Prison, which was just down the street. Um, and then the last person who was hung on this tree is who I'm doing my story on today is Rose Butler. She was a slave who was hung for arson on July 9th, 1819. And Rose was born into slavery in 1799 and was sold to two families before ending up with the Morris family in New York in 1817. Um, she was 18 years old at this time. So... What's a little tricky about the city in this era is that it's right on the brink of when slavery becomes abolished in New York City. So a lot of people are kind of waking up to the idea that this is a really terrible practice. Um, And so there's a small community around the corner from where Rose lives called Little Africa. And if you're in New York now, it's on Manetta Lane in Greenwich Village. Uh, It's a neighborhood where freed slaves could find affordable rent, could find jobs, uh, like domestic positions with wealthier families who oppose slavery and would be willing to rightfully employ. 
someone. Um, but this really angered Rose because she was born into slavery. She was stuck in ownership of this family. Um, and she felt that it wasn't fair, which it wasn't. Um, and she decided to do something about it. So two years after she moved in with the Morris family at 20 years old, Rose ties strings around the exits to the home and heads to the kitchen where she starts a fire to burn down the house. Um, this is actually kind of interestingly a more escalated decision than we kind of think of it today because in 1819 there are no phones to call for help. The telephone is not around um, and it's not like you can you know, run to the nearest fire station. There were only two in New York City at the time. And at this point in the city, all of the buildings were made of wood. So mm -hmm. arson was considered a really dangerous crime. Um, however, sadly. <laughs> As opposed to now where it's just. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's but like, now oh, yeah, we I'm can, like it's dangerous, but this was truly like in the court of no, law. No, I know. Okay. No, I, yeah, there's there's some great stories. Well, not great. They're horrible <laughs> stories from places like New Orleans where they had a fire that burned down the city and, you know, they would have bucket brigades. I think yeah. New York also had bucket brigades. We did. But, yeah, you it was it was you were expected to go to great lengths to prevent fires. And if one broke out, then you had to basically save your neighbor, things like that. But yeah, but continue. Yes. Yeah. So sadly, the fire did not take um, only like two stairs were burned and no one was injured. The family was able to, you know, kind of deescalate the fire. Um, but a slave acting out and committing arson is a massive crime. So she was tried in New York court, and then it was actually appealed to the New York Supreme Court, where she was convicted and then sent to prison and eventually hung. Um, and she was hung in Washington Square Park, and 10,000 people came to watch her hanging. Um, and then she was buried in the potter's field, which was at her feet. Um, so some conjecture... I will say from my research is that it's possible that Rose did not even commit this crime, that perhaps it was some sort of accident that maybe her master even did it, or he was trying to get back at her from acting out in other ways. Um, of course, you know, the history back then was written by the white lawmakers at the time. So it's not like her voice was given any chance to be amplified. Um, but that is what some people suspect is that she was wrongfully convicted because she might not have even done this herself, um, which is interesting. It's said, too, that she currently haunts the park. Um, people have seen her hanging from the tree itself or seen a reflection in the windows facing the park of someone hanging from the tree. And there are a ton of cold spots in the area. You know, I wonder if it is actually Rose. Uh, there are 20,000 bodies in there and a ton of people were hung from that tree. So I don't doubt that there is some sort of energy there, but who knows if it's actually Rose. I will say, though, when I did my 
I've done two tours of Greenwich Village, one walking, one virtual. And the walking tour that I did, we actually walked past this tree and the street lamp in front of it wasn't lit despite all other ones being lit. And I asked the tour guide, because of course they see this every night. And she said, yeah, it, it's very frequently not lit. So you have to wonder if there's some sort of energetic field kind of messing with that. But or if maybe she wants- it's just bad lighting. True, true. It could be just bad, bad electricity, but that's the story of Rose. Um, if she wants to haunt, she should. I think she has every right to be angry, but I think it's a story that's really important to tell. I think, first off, Washington Square Park, I have not had any paranormal experiences there. However, I filmed a segment there with Brandon Wellington, uh, we both filmed for Paranormal Paparazzi there. The segment didn't air. We, we edited it out. But being in that park at night, late at night, well, there was a time when you didn't want to be there because it was just rife with, yeah. with crime. But I have been there at night where there is sort of an eerie feeling about the place. But yes, there's just a lot of death that took place on those grounds so as far as the cold spot type thing i'm less inclined to buy into that since yeah it's also frequently cold in <laughs> in new york and even even during the summer it's been kind of there's been some chilly nights but if she's there if rose haunts this location actually i hope she doesn't i hope that yeah and i think this with a lot of ghosts i hope that maybe that they're able to move on to some sort of peaceful afterlife. Mm -hmm. But if she's there, I, I think that some sort of residual haunting or imprint on the location. I hope, I hope it's there. I hope that these ugly crimes from the past uh, done to her, this murder of execution yeah. of this woman that it's so easy just to cover over history. I hope that a remnant of history lasts and that maybe there is some sort of residual haunting to make us face up to, to those ugly bits of, of our, ha of our past. Yeah. But I also hope that she did try to burn that place down. <laughs> I hope. I, I hope that uh, Rose was like, "Screw it! I'm taking this whole totally fuck all of Slave Master's them. house down." <laughs> yeah. Um. So, an interesting story. But you know, with ghost stories, all ghost stories. For the thing that I love about them is, even if you don't believe in ghosts, they are an important part of our history because it's a way of keeping history alive. The, the tale of the ghost, it, fa it, it can make us, can encourage us to process history, even darker parts of our history and kind of struggle with, with what it means and what we've done. I've, I've thought that a lot about asylums and prisons where people were mistreated in large numbers the ghost stories kind of create a way to force us to think and talk about them. And the story I'm going to get into is... So uh, one more thing. So the story of Rose, 
do they at Washington Square Park? Is there any? There's no monument or anything to her, or no, no plaque. There's to her. no monument to her or plaque or anything. Not monument, which, but some yeah, commemoration something. or memorial. She is deserves something. Yeah, it's interesting. I figured that they would have. I I didn't wasn't aware of one, but I figured maybe they would have put one up. But well, all right. Well, her story is living on through the ghost stores and the podcast and that's mm-hmm. kind of what i want to get into with with my story but first let's get a word from another sponsor so things are starting to open up hopefully as we record this hopefully we're moving into a phase of returning to some sort of semi-normalcy but who knows that remains to be seen but if you think things have been bad during the pandemic Trust us, it could be worse. And if you don't believe me, read Dead Run, the sci-fi thriller from author Mike Maddox. A mysterious force is taking control of people's bodies and making them run to stay alive. And if you can't keep running, again, this is the ad copy, and I love reading it every time. If you can't keep running, you blow up like spaghetti left in the microwave too long. It's it's probably, it's just messy. And not contained in the microwave. You're just all over the place. <laughs> on your friends and neighbors. So, this story follows a group of weary survivors as they make their way through a hellish landscape where there's only one rule. Run. Or die. And this is why we should probably... I should be jogging, be training more. Aren't you so running the marathon out. soon? Well, I am running the marathon. If it's still happening, yes. My training is a little bit behind. But, yes, I am running the marathon. And it's for a good cause, too. So, check it out. Dead Run, available exclusively on Amazon Kindle. It's only $3 by Mike Maddox. We're checking out. And uh, we appreciate Dead Run for sticking with us here at Nightmarica. brought to you by Manscaped. And to talk about the men's grooming kits, we have one of its fiercest fans, Mr. Lawrence Talbot, an actual werewolf from London. Right, love. Cheers for having me on, although I prefer lycanthrope. The whole WW word is a bit unseemly. Although I should also note I have been an American citizen for a while now. Ah, so that would explain that almost indistinguishable British accent. Anyhow, Larry, I'm surprised you're in wolf form, even though there's not a full moon elf. That's right. Well, I used to view my condition as a bit of a curse, what with all the hair everywhere. But with the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 and its durable skin-safe ceramic blade, which has small teeth, unlike myself... I can be quite the dapper wolf with my crown jewels, if you will, remaining secure. Now I actually prefer to stay in wolf form permanently. Pardon me for saying so, but you have a lot of hair. It must take you forever to groom. Most certainly. It takes quite a bit of time. Thankfully, the lawnmower 3.0 holds a 90-minute charge, so I have all the time in the world. And with the built-in LED light, I can even see on a moonless night as I... As I trim my... my dolly bits, my undercarriage, my John Thomas. Right, right, we get it. 
Wolfman's got nards. And with Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0's waterproof technology, you can even clean up in the moors on a rainy English or American night. It's perfectly splendid, isn't it? And speaking of moors, I still do enjoy taking a bite out of the occasional backpacker. But with the Crop Preserver Bull Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Spray Toner, any passers-by that comes close will only smell the aroma of the freshest dangly bits. But don't take our word for it, or even that of a gentleman lycanthrope. Because with the code NIGHTMERICA, you can get 20% off a Manscaped order and receive free shipping. Head to manscaped.com and enter code NIGHTMERICA, and you can check out their anti-chafing boxer briefs, weed whacker nose hair trimmer, and crop cleanser hair and body wash, all from... Wolf Manscaped. No, only from Manscaped. Manscaped, the right tools for the job. So, have you been to Savannah? I have not, despite living in Atlanta for one month. Um, I never made it to Savannah, but I really want to go. The like moss covered trees are so beautiful. It's a it's a great town. It's a gorgeous town. It's also, you know, a, a southern town with a lot of complicated history. And the story I'm going to talk about is perhaps supposedly the most haunted town mm-hmm. in Savannah. And some people say that Savannah is one of the most haunted mm-hmm. towns in the country. But it is the story of the Sorrel Weed House in Savannah. This is a really a gorgeous building. It's a Greek Revival architecture. And it's lots of, as you said, sort of that leafy green moss surrounding. And, well, let's dive into the, the legend of it. This is the official legend, so I am quoting this. But... The Sorrel Weed House was built in the early 1840s and designed by noted architect Charles Kluski. The house was built by Francis Sorrel, who was a wealthy plantation owner, and he originally was from the West Indies, and some said that he was half black himself. I don't know if that's documented by uh, history, if that's factual, but he married soon after immigrating to the United States. And he paired with a young woman named Lucinda Moxley, who was only 17 years old. Whoa, She was from an extremely... Yeah, but different time. She was from an extremely wealthy family, which did business with Francis. Lucinda died just five years into their marriage in 1827. And two years later, Francis was joined in matrimony again. This time, he married his dead wife's younger sister. 23-year-old Matilda in 1829. Again, it was a custom at the time. It was kind of creepy, but, you know, different times. So Francis was very wealthy. His shipping business grew exponentially during this time. He grew to prominence as one of the city's most wealthy men. Now, this is where I'm going to go back and forth between the story and fact, because this is where things get a little bit controversial so supposedly francis had a long running affair with a slave girl named molly supposedly francis arranged for molly to have special quarters above the carriage house 
so that they could have their lovers' trysts in private. However, they were discovered one night by Matilda Sorrel, his wife. Enraged by her husband's infidelity, Matilda committed suicide by leaping from the second-story balcony of the house, bashing her head against the flagstone <sighs> courtyard. A few weeks later, after this grisly death, the slave Molly was found in the carriage house hanging from a noose and yet another alleged suicide on the grounds. Now, this is the popular story of the Sorrel Weed House. Now, the things that are reported are shadow people. That's uh, lots of, uh, I think, yeah, I've, I have a project coming out that I can't talk about where I actually was talking about the Sorrel Weed House. I've, I've been there a few times. So you hear whispers in the house. There are supposedly a lot of orb activity. There's shadow people that are reported. I've seen some footage of shadows bouncing around the house and shadow people. I've seen some footage of some orbs. And one of the oldest ghost stories out of there is the story of a red coat ghost and mm. apparently slaves that were in the house during this time during the 1840s said that they would see this ghost that they described as a devil but what they were describing also sounded like it was the ghost of a red coat a british soldier interesting now yeah and that's because so this this house before it was the Sorrel Weed House. It was actually originally part of a British barracks during the Revolutionary War, and a cannonball struck uh, at one point, killing several soldiers. And some people are saying that's the origin of some of the shadow people. And the basement of this house at one point also had uh, kitchens, slave kitchens, and this was during the Revolutionary War, that was a time where surgery would have been taking place, amputations and things like that. So, and there's even a story going back to the 1800s of the slaves. This is saying that they saw this devil that was recorded, that was documented in the 1800s. So we have both Revolutionary War and then Savannah was, the Sorrel Weed House was involved in the Civil War and I believe Francis Sorrel was considered a general a young general during the civil war and robert e lee the general visited there but this ghost of molly also supposedly of the slave molly and of the slave er, and of the wife matilda haunt this location now let's peel back some layers here as far as paranormal activity itself goes it's worth noting that this house is in, the, is in the heart of Savannah. And actually, the opening scene of Forrest Gump was filmed from the top of the Sorrel Weed House. Interesting. It's, it's on a very busy street, very active. So a lot of sounds and things. I think maybe not all, but some of the sounds, the whispers and whatnot could be attributed to outside activity that's bleeding into the house. That could be said for the shadow activity as well. Again, not all of it. I've seen some compelling footage out of there. But there's a lot of there's a lot of front facing windows that reflections, cars going by, tourists moving about could be casting some shadows inside 
the house and orbs. I'm not someone that dismisses orbs outright, but I think a lot of times orbs that are captured on camera are droplets of water and insects. Mm-hmm. But aside from all that, let's let's talk a little bit about Matilda and Molly. So if Molly existed, if Molly was indeed a real person, the troubling part about this story is the idea that Francis Sorrel carried on a long-running affair with this slave, Molly. Well, I've heard this story long. I've heard this story many times, and I must admit it's only recently that I started to think long-running affair. Well, that sure sounds consensual, and one can't help but think probably not consensual. A slave owner carrying on a sexual relationship with his slave, unlikely that that would have been something that this girl, Molly, probably a very young girl, would have entered into. And yet this is a story that is told at at the house. And I don't want to begrudge a Sorrel Weed House or people giving ghost tours, but it's become part of the paranormal legend, the affair with Molly. And it's troubling because mm-hmm. when we tell these ghost stories, when we go on these tours, we're doing it for entertainment. We're paying money. We're doing it for entertainment. We also hopefully are learning some history, but it's also, are we glamorizing this? Not only glamorizing, but we're also trivializing the experience of, of, of slaves and and we're getting the history. Look, I mean, ghost ghost stories can muddy history when they're done right they're telling authentic history and then telling the ghost story which you can believe in or not but when you tell the story of this slave girl in this this relationship we're really losing sight of history in this case Mm -hmm. we're really losing sight of the horror that this girl and all these other slaves endured and it's not the only one. We talked about the Myrtle's Plantation on mm-hmm. another episode, and there's a story there of, I think it was Chloe, the ghost mm-hmm. that haunts that, of a slave. Again, connected to this idea of carrying on a relationship with a slave owner. You know, we're talking about likely sexual assault. Mm-hmm. We're talking about rape here. And, and yet, when we tell these stories, ghost stories it's positioned as entertainment positioned almost we're we're making the slave and also the slave owners as romantic figures Mm -hmm. it's so troubling and 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 quite literally we are profiting off of the stories of these slaves so in a way we're we're keeping them enslaved even in the afterlife even as ghosts so but I don't want to. I don't want to say that every uh, every story is wrong, or we should stop telling these stories. But I almost feel like we just need to have a reckoning of how we tell some of these ghost stories. I don't even think we should stop telling ghost stories of of slaves. And again, I'm saying this from a position of being a white male. But I think giving it more perspective is probably the way to do it. So we're not appropriating those 
stories. But I mean, there's even there's even some ghost stories of of slaves where people like at an inn where people leave the room and their bed is unmade and they enter the room and and it's made up again and it's supposedly the the ghost that's making the bed in their absence and i'm like man that's messed up like really when you think about it but what we're saying is that they're they're still stuck there and still serving yeah masters in an afterlife so uh, even and who knows even if it's not true we're still sort of perpetuating that even if molly didn't exist we're still keeping that story we're making that story um glamorizing in a way mm-hmm. this slave experience so something that i was just thinking about as i kind of think of i struggle with paranormal and ghost stories and things what are your, what's yeah. your thought on this no i think you're right i think we need to keep telling the story um but just be putting them in proper context and you know it made me think of the fact that hbo is going to pull gone with the wind and i actually think they have pulled gone with the wind um just due to its kind of you know view of slavery but they're they've decided now that they're going to come back and have it on air but they're going to have someone at the beginning speaking to give context to the situation. And I think that's really important because we don't want to erase what has happened because you learn from the past because I want, you know, my niece and nephew to know what had happened so that we can be better. Well, yeah. And so I think, I think the plan was, and unfortunately through through misinformation and and some people wanting to turn it into something it was not i think hbo had always planned on bringing it back once they could determine the right amount of context to preface the movie with and i'm not i don't i don't think art should be erased or canceled i think that in that different time well, okay. I mean, it was it was the movie came out in what 1940, I guess, right? And so I don't think that Gone with the Wind should be just erased from history because then what you're doing is you're also erasing Hattie McDaniel, who played Mammy, which was a stereotype of a character, but mm-hmm. you're erasing her from who uh, from from history as well and she won the academy award for best supporting actress with gone yeah. gone with the wind so uh, it was actually 1939 not 1940 but so yeah you don't want to do that either but yeah offering context i think is perhaps mm-hmm. the the way to do it so if we're going to tell the story of the sorrel weed house instead of lionizing francis sorrel maybe call him out as you know likely well, he was a Confederate general or or some member of his family was a Confederate general. So call him out for that. And instead of carrying on a romantic relationship, call out the fact that he was raping this woman. Yep. Or likely raping this woman. I think there's I think there's a lot of work to probably be done in the in the paranormal community and paranormal realm to put these things in in a better context 
So, and, and that's actually, I'm going to jump into the paranormal pop culture, what we're into as we do that, because just the segue, the book that I ordered, haven't started reading yet, but I've been researching is Tia Miles is the author of this book, Tales from the Haunted South, and I've and the subtitle is Dark Tourism and Memories of Slavery from the Civil War Era. And I've been researching her a lot in the last few days as we've been approaching this topic. And she explores these paranormal stories and helps provide some context to these ghost ghost stories that involve slaves. So and she, I believe, also visited the Sorrel Wheat House. So hmm. that's going to be my shout-out. I'm going to order it. I'm going to read up on it. And and hopefully not just in a campaign of becoming anti-racist, as we all should be doing right now, or have been doing, we should have been doing for a long time, but yeah. also exploring that through the paranormal community as well. So Tales from the Haunted yeah. South, that's my paranormal pop culture suggestion. How about you? So mine this week is actually educating myself on something that you referenced in a previous episode. During our sports episode, you touched on the Betty and Barney Hill story, which I'd heard of, but I knew nothing about. You know, in this podcast, my realm is true crime and I'm kind of educating myself on paranormal. Um, So I listened to an old episode of one of your favorite podcasts, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. Um, And they covered the Betty and Barney Hill story with the host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, uh, Toby Ball. Um, I am now fascinated. I'm now binging Strange Arrivals, which is just their story. Um, But it also felt really appropriate because until listening to this, I did not know that Betty and Barney Hill were an interracial couple. Um, And they actually were together before the Supreme Court passed uh, the Loving Day decision in 1967. So not only do I 100% believe their story, like talk to me about the star map, incredible. Um, But I also think it's super cool that they were an interracial couple. So happy Loving Day to all of our listeners. That was just, I think, on June 12th. Yeah, the it's not only yeah, you're right. It, it's it's a notable story for so many reasons because of it's probably it, it is definitely one of the most notable and talked about abduction stories occurred in 1961, but it's also yeah, so notable because they were ahead of their time. It's the and they've been they've either have their tale has either been dramatized by multiple TV shows, and uh, I think X Files referenced it and talked about it. But they were also the show American Horror Story, the season Asylum, kind of bases some characters off of them. Mm. So, so even to this day, like their their story still still resonates uh, as part of ufology but also as part of um you know you know them being so so ahead of their time you know and and 
it's it's a kind of amazing that love would find a way and yeah. and that you know that's so it's it's kind of like a nice thing to end with a sweet thing absolutely i, I mean except for the messed up uh alien abduction part but <laughs> yeah for sure but <laughs> also want to shout Yay out did you, when you were did you see the photo of their dogs though when or of their dog no. when you were looking them up oh yeah no. they have a dog named delcy well that you know i'm sure dog the dog is dead sorry bummer but <laughs> um but yeah they uh they had a dog named delcy who appeared in their uh one of their famous photos so you should what's the breed out. what's the breed of dog? i don't know i i think it was like a a uh adoption i believe shut the fuck up i i think so i mean i will shut up but i'm <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't erase the fact that i think that that was the kind of dog that they had you know that's my dog that's my breed i know you have a i tattoo. have the yes. wiener dog tattoo holding up to the screen yeah. oh my god they had a dachshund these are my yeah, favorite so. people Oh, and it was the same color as my Audrey. See? So, there you These go. These are my now people, man. Betty and Barney Hill. And Huge fan. Yeah. So, oh my um, God. Well, cool. Get ready for an Instagram cool. post that is just pictures of Betty and Barney Hill's dog. <laughs> Let's maybe celebrate Betty and Barney. <laughs> I mean, there's pictures of them holding the dog, but the dog will be included. Will, how about on an upcoming episode, maybe we just tell their story. I, I yeah, mean, let's They are do one it. of the ones I, I keep in my back pocket because I do love their story. They Yeah, the, yeah. and it was um, adapted into the a, a pretty good TV show, if I remember, with James Earl Jones. So mm, Love yeah. him. All right, well, that brings us to the end of a, I, you know, hopefully hopefully a, a good episode where we were able to talk about things. It's funny because it's a, we talk about serious things. But we're not always serious while we're talking about it. Yep. But I think this warranted it. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to us this week, guys. If you like Nightmerica, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash Nightmerica. And consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a follow on social media and share this with your friends. And if you'd like to share your paranormal stories or even seek paranormal advice which is for entertainment purposes only email nightmericashow at gmail.com say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.